Hey guys, Adam here. I just got off this Zoom call with Mark at minute seven and thoroughly enjoyed this podcast. When I learned about Mark's background, we had some like key similarities. Like he did a marketing consultancy. My background is sales and marketing consultancy. I then parlayed that into the business where an expert trades. He actually went out, rather than trying to found his own business, he said founding it's just the hardest bit. What I want to do is go find a business that's got product market fit and use my skills as a marketer to scale it. Uh, So you're going to learn about how he goes from a commercial banking background into being a marketer at one of the first online STD clinics and then how he ends up buying a SaaS business and scaling it over the last three years over at Minute 7. Some key learnings. I hope you enjoy today's episode. And just before we jump into the show, just a quick bit about Mark. Mark is the CEO of Minute 7, which does time and expense tracking for professional service businesses. Minute 7 helps professional service businesses get paid faster from their customers. The company is bootstrapped, has thousands of users, and doubled its revenue last year. Prior to Minute 7, Mark worked in finance and private equity. He met a lot of successful entrepreneurs along the way before deciding to make the leap himself. And he walks to the office every day and loves the autonomy that comes with running your own business. In his younger days, Mark had ambitions for comedy and completed training at Second City in Chicago. But now he lives in the suburbs and has three kids under the age of five. He sleeps sometimes. So guys, please enjoy this interview between Adam Callow and Mark Sume. Mark, I want to say a huge thank you for joining us on the Startup Diary podcast today. How are you? I'm great. I'm great, Adam. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure, mate. There's a there's a whole thing from your bio that sort of jumped out at me in terms of one, the marketing consultancy, the SaaS product. There's some parallels from what you do to what I guess in terms of like my personal entrepreneurship journey. I think there's some similarities. Um, before we dig into that, can you just give people an idea of one, who you are, what you're about? what you do today, and then we'll rewind to sort of work out how you got there. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm based uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, I, uh, I own and operate a uh, small SaaS company called Minute 7, um, but I have a, kind of a winding path <laughs> from a career standpoint on, on how I got here. So I... Um, we can dig into it, but the, the sort of one minute version is I, I started out in financial services as a commercial banker and, and realized, you know, that's not what I wanted to be when I grew up and uh, sort of took a couple of different uh, paths, but ended up um, where I am today, which, which uh, I'm really enjoying and uh, looking to do for, for hopefully quite some time. Cool stuff. There's a uh, there's a bunch of stuff that I want to get into in terms of the move into SaaS, but let me just like go take take it way back to what made you want to get into commercial banking in the first place. Like just tell like what was the journey to that? Because obviously there was something in your mind that made you think I want to do commercial banking. What was sure. that, and what was it that made you think this isn't for me? Yeah, good question. I you know I so I w- I studied finance in college and um, I. I went to school and grew up in Dayton, Ohio and Dayton, Ohio is for folks in the United States is similar to like a lot of Midwestern uh, towns in that it, it, uh, you know, was an industrial town in the, 
you know, 80s, 90s. And then sort of as more manufacturing left the United States, uh, like a lot of Midwestern towns, it was adversely impacted. And there wasn't a lot of career opportunity within Dayton. So um, Chicago uh, has a lot more, you know, economic activity, a lot more diverse um, in terms of different careers. And um, so I, it, it sucked me in from Dayton and it, it sort of does that to a lot of uh, surrounding states. Um, so I had my eyes on Chicago when I graduated. And um, since I had a finance degree, you know, I was looking at a lot of banking related jobs. And what I liked about commercial banking was was it was uh, looking back on, I wasn't probably thinking about this, but the thing I liked about it when I learned about it was that our customers are small business owners. So it was my first real exposure to entrepreneurship. So we lend, we lend money to small businesses. And when you do that, you know, you establish a relationship with that, that small business owner. And that's really where I got to learn about uh, the first time that I really got exposed to it. So, you know, Oftentimes, this was a person who had started a business, and uh, they were looking for capital to grow their business. Um, so they usually, for them to be, you know, able to get a loan, they typically had to be around a while. So they had some experience. Um, they usually were in growth mode. So it was an interesting, you know, exposure for me, someone who was very young, out of college, to get to know entrepreneurs, their struggles, their successes. Um, and that was really the spark, you know, for me in my mind that as I got more into that role and I got to know more of these entrepreneurs, it really started to attract me as like a career. Like why, why couldn't I be a, a business owner? Um, and so, yeah, I think what, you know, attracted to me to it was also kind of what led me to look elsewhere. <laughs> um, I liked, you know, meeting these small business owners. I liked learning their stories and then ultimately decided that that's where, where I wanted to spend my time working versus a large corporate environment where, you know, you know, the bank that I worked at had thousands of employees. So if I did a really great job or a really bad job, it didn't really affect the business. Um, and so what attracted me to entrepreneurship was like, if, you know, if I figured something out, the business could really grow and really succeed. Um, you know, I guess it also comes with additional risk in that if I was bad at my job, the company could fail. But I, that that type of um, risk was not something I was overly concerned about, I guess, or sort of downplayed the, the downside and was more focused on the upside. Um, so that's what led me to sort of begin to, to look at other career opportunities was just the excitement around entrepreneurship and, and, you know, having more autonomy and, and the opportunity to really, really grow something. I hear that from a few people that I speak to in terms of it kind of being an entrepreneur, it, it, it's the meritocracy of it. It's the master of your own destiny. If you perform well, you reap the benefits. And if you suck, uh, you feel, the, <laughs> you feel the pain. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like that. And yeah. it's a certain type of person that is prepared to step out of that corporate environment uh, and sort of hand and sort of like not handle it, but take it on. Just talk to me about that. Like, what was it like going from the a person in a cog in a large corporate environment to 
the world of entrepreneurship, which feels like you, you're often a, a punching bag day in, day out. Uh, like, <laughs> what was that change like? Yeah. So, you know, I, I sort of decided pretty quickly that I wanted to get into like technology in some way. Um, and so what I did to sort of transition out of the corporate world into the startup world was I, uh, I taught myself online marketing. So I didn't know how to code. Um, as I mentioned, I had a finance background, but what I, you know, at the time, this is like 2007, 2008, Google had a lot of like, uh, uh, tutorials on like online marketing, paid search marketing, uh, SEO, um, you know, SEO was a lot different back then, but there was, you know, a lot to learn about that. So I just sort of taught myself that. And then I began moonlighting as a, an online marketer. So I, this was again, 2007, 2008, where the, you know, Craigslist ads were still, I, th I think they still are, but even then they were, they were still pretty popular. So I posted, you know, um, my, my skill set on Craigslist and, and actually found a couple customers. So at night I was, you know, during the day I was doing my job and at night I was, you know, uh, learning and, and helping people how to do online marketing. Just, um, uh, Mark, sorry to jump in, just out of, out of curiosity. Were you doing that because you wanted the experience of entrepreneurship or was it extra income or was it a combination of the two? What was it that made you take that approach? Yeah. So it was really just cause that's what, the only way I could get hired at a startup because a startup doesn't need someone, an early stage startup doesn't really need someone who understands finance. Um, mm -hmm. It's just not a, a super important skill, but they do need, you know, someone to help them grow and they need software developers. And I, I didn't know how to write code, but I felt like I could learn the online marketing side of things. Um, so that it was really just how, how can I get into a startup? You know, they're, they're not just going to hire me if I don't have a way to help them. And, um, that was the way that seemed like the, the easiest path for me to get a job was to learn online marketing. You know, if I could come to them and say, Hey, I've, I've worked for these, you know, I've done this work for these companies. Um, it just made me much more hireable than, than if I didn't do that work. So you're moonlighting in the evening, obviously burning the candle at both ends. At what point in your career do you kind of say, okay, I'm, I'm going to take the leap. I'm going to try and leave the commercial banking and get into entrepreneurship full time. What I'm always super excited to understand when someone's sort of like standing on the edge of the cliff just before yeah. they jump off. And I love that old phrase about entrepreneurship, which is like, it's built like entrepreneurship is building the plane on the way down after you've jumped off the cliff. <laughs> what, what was the moment that made you sort of like jump off? Um, I, so I started looking for oper like full-time opportunities and this like in Chicago in 2000, this was 2009 by the time I was sort of found the opportunity that got me excited. What, what I found was a, a startup in Chicago that, was funded so they had raised some money they were early stage so i felt like i was going to be able to learn a lot um it was sort of a well-known entrepreneur in chicago that was starting this company and so i just felt like it was time like i, I had sort of built up enough skills where i felt like i could actually help the startup the startup was could actually pay me <laughs> something, even though it was the salary I took was probably, it was half of what I was making at the bank. So it was a real leap. Um, and I had just gotten married. So luckily my wife, um, 
was, she probably thought I was a little crazy, but she was also always been really supportive. Sounds um, like you've got it. Like if, if you are going back home to your wife to say, by the way, I've been working at college, I've got my finance, I'm a commercial banker, but I want to join this startup and get paid half as much. Like, yeah. That sounds like a very supportive wife. How was that conversation? And like, I guess, how did you feel about the risk at that point? Well, you know, we, it was definitely like a financial risk. And, and I guess there's a funny caveat, which is that it was uh, an online uh, STD testing company. That's what the primary product was, <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, it actually makes sense from a business standpoint because a lot of people feel they don't want to contact their primary doctor and get an online yep. STD or an STD test. So they like to do it anonymously online. Makes sense. So it's actually, it's a good business, but it also further complicates the the sales pitch to my wife, which is I have a, <laughs> a finance job and I want to work at this startup that does online STD testing. It's kind of a weird uh, <laughs> conversation, but yeah, I think it was, you know, look, we're, we're young still. Uh, we don't have children. I don't have a mortgage. Um, if I'm going to do this, it's really now or never was really how I felt about it. Um, you know, it's only going to be harder, you know, five years from down the line if, if we have children or if we have a mortgage. So that was I really, a, I, I, uh, sorry about, uh, sorry to interrupt yeah. my, the, uh, the line, the line went a little bit, uh, but I had a similar conversation with my wife. Uh, she was three months pregnant when, um, when I quit my job and she was like, well, you've got six months to make this work. <laughs> uh, so that was an interesting one. I guess what, one thing I'm always interested in is you, you get your wife on board, uh, which is uh -huh. awesome, super supportive, uh, credits you both. Um, but how do you drown out the, like, do you know everyone else in your life that sort of knows you as a commercial banker and then the perception of you jumping out of what they would probably consider as a successful job to, an online STD startup, like yeah. how did you handle everyone else's thoughts and opinions? You know, I didn't care that much about them. And I, I mean, I, I definitely probably had got people who thought it was nuts. I mean, I, I think when I told my, you know, internally my boss or my boss's boss, they, I'm sure after I left, they were like, what, what is that guy doing? But I was so convinced that, this wasn't what I wanted to do that. It didn't bother me that much. Um, I mean, I would, I would often talk about it with colleagues. It would be like, you know, I, when I had the bug and I was just thinking about entrepreneurship and oftentimes like it would just be responded with like blank stares or like, I don't know what you're talking about. Why would you, why would you want to leave? This is a good job and those types of things. But you know, when, when you're sort of set on something, I don't know, at least in my experience, I don't, I don't let other people's opinions affect me too much, luckily, which I, I think made it, made it a lot easier. And if, I think that maybe is an important thing to keep in mind for folks that are considering is like, you have to do what, what excites you and, and what interests you. And if you're managing to other people's expectations, it's sort of a, a path to unhappiness in, in my perspective. So I would, I'm glad I was able to block it out, but I know it's hard for some people to do that, but um, I was able to, to sort of <laughs> block out the doubters. I love that. And I, I appreciate actually the fact you zoomed in on it because I think that's probably one of the biggest takeaways so far. I guess some of the, I don't want to use them as excuses because I think, um, I think there's some, some uh, genuine concern in there, but the, one of the biggest reasons that I found from speaking to people that are in day jobs that they don't enjoy is 
I don't want to take the leap because uh, I don't want to have to handle what other people are going to say or think about it, but to sort of block it out. I like to say, don't try and live your life to manage someone else's expectations. Cause I love what you said there is it's just going to lead to you being unhappy. Uh, I think it's like such a valid point. Um, yeah. So talk to, so you're, you're, you're at the startup um, with a, uh, as you put it, someone that's sort of a well-known entrepreneur in the, the Chicago scene. Uh, how long were you there? Uh, what were your key learnings there from like startup life and entrepreneurship compared to your corporate environment? Uh, just talk to me about that experience and then how you departed that company. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was a great first job in entrepreneurship. So the company, my role, I was just focused on uh, paid marketing. So managing um, Google paid search campaigns primarily and some other paid um, marketing efforts. And then, also, uh, we executed on like a pretty successful uh, SEO strategy. Um, so I, I, you know, it was great experience. Um, and I the what led me to to leave was I wanted it was uh, it had already raised that that round. So like my ownership in the business wasn't that meaningful, uh, at least from my perspective. I mean, I guess if it had become like a like a outlier, like a Facebook, I, it could have been, uh, the equity could have been worth meaningful, but outside of that, it, it wasn't going to be that much upside for me. So I actually wanted, I left because I was looking for an earlier stage. So something even earlier where they hadn't raised a, a meaningful round yet. And I could, you know, get more upside and, and, and really start at the ground floor. So that's what led me to the next startup, which was a, a payment startup. Um, out of uh, uh, University of Chicago, the two founders um, started the company and were in an incubator here in Chicago. And um, they were both kind of more technical and were looking for, you know, marketing and, and sales uh, skills. And um, I had, at this point, you know, worked for a well-known Chicago startup and was able to to transition from there into this earlier stage company. And they, they subsequently closed on that round and, and we were off and running. And, you know, when I think back on the things I've done, that, that was the most, I've said this before, but that was the most fun that I've had uh, up until what I'm doing now in terms of we, we were a small team, Adam, there was like five of us total or six, maybe at some, at one point. I remember but, those, the glory days, yeah. like shoulder yeah. to shoulder. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we were all sitting at one table. We, you know, we had sort of a really basic product, but we were building stuff really quickly. We were learning stuff all, you know, as you mentioned, shoulder to shoulder. And it, I, I look back at the, that time. It was I wasn't there that long, but it was, you know, one I, I got to work with really smart people, and and I learned a lot. And it was we we ultimately that was that company was acquired by Groupon, which is another Chicago. Uh, company, but I, I learned a lot, and more importantly, I felt like I, I built really good relationships with the with the people on that team, and we're still in touch, and really really enjoyed that experience. That's cool. That's definitely something. Just uh, when you sort of that three to six person marks. So so for me, I was I'm a solo founder. I've been running my company for about seven years now, since 2013. Um, and like you say, there's there's some there's something magical and special about three to six people because you don't really entirely know what the next two to six months hold, but you're just sort of grinding, <laughs> grinding it out together day yeah. by day. 
yeah. Um, yeah, it just feels like a real team spirit at that level. Obviously, you, you try and scale that up, but it naturally has its challenges when teams and growth happens within a business. So, yeah, some definitely good memories around that. So that company is acquired. What does that mean for you? Where do you go to next? Yeah, so um, I went – so then, oddly enough, I went back into finance, but I worked. Uh, I went to work for a private equity firm uh, here in Chicago, um, and I, there was kind of two roles or two things that I was helping with. One was with um, their portfolio companies, was helping them with online marketing. So they – they focused a lot on B2B um, businesses and, you know, this was, I think, gosh, I'm forgetting the timeline, but it's probably like 2010, 2011. And a lot of them, their portfolio companies just weren't thinking through like how to acquire customers online, which was an emerging trend at the time. So I spent a lot of my time working on that and then also just on the biz development side for the private equity firm. So trying to find, help them find, uh, help them find uh, companies to purchase. And I think two things really came through on that front. Uh, one was, you know, I got to work uh, on a portfolio type setup, which led into the my sort of next uh, job, which was like a marketing uh, agency or marketing services. So I, you know, had a sort of group of customers, if you will. And then the second thing that, that really was defining for that was I, there was this small, um, email, uh, marketing company that I tried to convince, or I wanted to get the private equity firm to purchase. Um, but it wasn't in their, you know, sweet spot in terms of investment criteria. They focused mostly on non-technology or software businesses. So it didn't really make sense for their, their, but I really saw how I got to know the, the founder and saw the financials and saw how, how profitable it was and how the reoccurring, how strong the reoccurring revenue was. And so that was really my first sort of deep look at like, okay, this, you know, it took me a while to get there, but that was really where I, I, I decided I wanted to try and own and operate uh, a SaaS business. Um, so I got that from there. And I also got this, you know, concept of like, I could start my own marketing services business. And that's where, where I left. Uh, and I, I kept that marketing services business going, kept some of those customers ongoing for a while. Um, and sort of, began the, the, the search and the, the path to try and own and operate a, a SaaS business. So I, I love to sort of like uh, zoom into like the origin story of, of the business. So at this point in time, you've got like a bug, uh, like a little itch that you're like saying, actually SaaS is interesting. You've seen from a finance background, you can see how it creates predictable revenue uh, and uh, I guess the foundations of a strong business model. Uh, you've got your marketing consultancy, which I guess is keeping food food on the table, revenue coming in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about minute seven. Like, let's just. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know like how that idea comes about, uh, when the seed was planted, and how long it sort of like took you to go from an idea uh, to an actual like product. Uh, that's that's the part of the origin story that I love to zoom into. So, like, could you share that with us? Sure. Sure. So actually it's, it's important to note, I did not start minute seven. So, um, 
the path to minute seven was I was searching for uh, a small SaaS business to acquire and the founder was interested in, in selling it. And, um, we had started that conversation. Um, and I was going, we we're trying to go down the path of me acquiring the business outright. And, but, but where we ended up, Adam was me throughout that. We couldn't ultimately, I couldn't get the, the deal done. It was largely because of, um, the price the seller wanted to sell and the price that I could, and was willing to pay for it. Um, but during that sort of long process, I got to know the founder of Minute 7 really well and sort of explained the things that I wanted to do with it. Um, and we came to a sort of different deal where I could, you know, we came up with a, an operating plan that I, that I would want to execute over, you know, a three to five year window. Um, and I would get, you know, equity ownership in the business. And so from my perspective, you know, it, it checked a lot of the things off for me and that, you know, I would have the autonomy to, to run the business day to day. Um, I had a plan that I was excited about in terms of the things we could do with the business. Um, and I would have, you know, meaningful ownership in it so that if, if, um, if we were successful, you know, I would be able to participate in that. So that's, that's where we ended up. Um, and that was, it'll be, it was actually three years ago this month. So we're in year three. Um, and we've, you know, had a lot of success in those first three years. And, uh, I'm really excited about, about the next two years that the founder has been, you know, really supportive. And, you know, I feel like we have a really good partnership in that, you know, I've done everything I think that I set out, I set out to do and, and he's done everything that he said he would do. And, and we're just, uh, just moving forward and, and executing on, on the plan that we agreed upon. So it, it's been, uh, it's been really good. Like I think I mentioned at the beginning of this, but it, like this is, you know, when I started running minute seven is really where I finally found like, this is, this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, and, uh, I'm really enjoying it. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to doing it for a while, hopefully. So, uh, I guess I just made an assumption, like obviously incorrectly. I, I saw CEO on the title, uh, comp, uh, from June, 2017, and just made the assumption that that's when it was founded. So I guess knowing that now has created like a whole heap of other questions for me, which I, I wanted yeah, to take yeah. a small bit of time to zoom into. I guess sure. one, um, I'll try and uh, keep these as individual questions. I've got a tendency to bundle three or four questions into one and then the guest tends to go, Oh, that was a lot to tackle. So <laughs> I, I guess, let me just start with um, what made you want to go and look to acquire an existing business compared to founding one from scratch? Is it, be, uh, and not to lead the witness, but is it because sure. I get the sense that you're an operational guy to go in and then increase efficiencies was more exciting, less compared to the creative idea guy you wanted to go in and run the business. Just talk to me about that decision. Yeah. I mean, well, I think, you know, in some ways it just is easier <laughs> um, yeah. because, you know, if you're starting out a business, you got to find product market fit and that's really hard. Um, an existing business that has, you know, thousands of users like, like minute seven, it already has established that product market fit. So really it's about growth and, and I find that is, you know, once you have product market fit, you know, th that feels like the hardest part to me. 
Um, and then there's all kinds of different growth strategies that you can try. So that part just seemed much more, um, you know, attainable. Because of your, um, because your marketing background, you're able to sort of go in and say, cool, this is a product that probably isn't in front of as many people as it needs to be. Your skill set would allow you to scale it up compared to find that MVP product market fit sort of time frame. Yeah, but yeah, you, exactly. Do you know when you go and speak to this, um, the current founder, uh, and you're trying to acquire, he's trying to sell, you don't find that middle ground. How does that conversation go to the point where he makes the decision? Because if, if I'm trying to put like um, put it back on myself, let's just sure. say I, I was a technical founder, uh, I've built a product, that's like my baby. Like I don't want to let anyone else sure. run the show. How do you mm -hmm. navigate the conversation so you become CEO of a product that he founded? Because I can imagine that being quite difficult for him to let go of the reins and give you the the final decision on everything. Yeah. So I think from, you know, we should, I should ultimately ask him, but I, I, we did talk about this. I think from his perspective, he, this wasn't his, his uh, primary source of income. So okay. he had, he had started this business on the side. Um, and, I, and from his perspective, I think he probably felt like it was neglected and it could use someone like me. Um, and so when I talked about, what I wanted to do with it. I think he just got excited. He was like, okay, I've got, you know, from his perspective, he has this asset. It's generating, you know, a, you know, a meaningful amount of cash without a lot of work, but it could be worth a lot more if, if someone were focused on it. So I think he just saw a value in, in putting someone to do things that he probably wanted to do with it, but just didn't, didn't have the time because he, he had, uh, you know, a full-time job outside of the business. That makes loads of sense now. I was like, how does a founder, uh, I, I just, I would personally struggle with it. And I know, I know sure. it happened. I know it definitely happens, but that makes loads more sense. Guy's got an asset. Someone comes in, takes some equity, trusts you to scale the value of that asset over three to five years. That, that makes sense. Um, I guess just before we wrap up, just to get like really tactical, I'd love to sort of zoom into your experience from being the CEO of a SaaS product. Like what are your key learnings or, uh -huh. I guess either biggest mistakes or key learnings for someone right now that thinks recurring revenue is where I want to go to. Um, what are the things that you did when you got into that business to add value to, to minute seven? Sure. So I think this is true. Like there's a couple attributes of minute seven that I think are true of many small SaaS products where people, you know, maybe started it on the side or, you know, got it to a certain point and then have, you know, haven't done much with it. And, and I think that, is an opportunity for, for folks like me who, who see that. So, you know, the, the, the background of minute seven was it was originally created in 2008. Um, the product had not, you know, until I had, you know, started running the business day to day in 2017, like in, for many years, it had not been, you know, invested in terms of the product. So there were, you know, the interface, the, the feature set, those are all things that, that I felt like were, I mean, one, it, it spoke to how good the founder was in terms of he, he's been able to maintain the business without investing a lot. <laughs> he really nailed the product market fit in order to do that. But it was also, I also saw it as an opportunity, right? There, if we could invest in more features, we could invest in updating the look and feel, um, we did that, you know, along with some like marketing strategy. I really felt like we could grow it and, you know, we've been able to do that, but that was, 
that was, I mean, that's the biggest, I think that's true of many small SaaS businesses that were created within the last 10 years. I think people get it to a certain size and it generates enough cash and they just sort of put it on autopilot for lack of a better term. And it never reaches that next level because of, you know, a hesitation, you know, do I really need want to invest more in it when it's already sort of generating comfortable amount? Um, so I think there, there's a lot of SaaS, you know, products out there that are similar to minute seven or similar to minute seven was in, in 2017, sort of like underinvested assets that could be meaningfully larger with just a little bit of focus and effort. Um, so I, I think for people out there thinking about it, if you do see an asset and it looks like you see a soft piece of software, a SaaS business where you look at the product, like, Oh man, it looks kind of clunky and, and old. You know, I actually see that as attractive. And um, if, if the business is, you know, maintaining customers with that product, it really speaks to how, how good of the product really is. It just, you know, in the ability in order to grow it, you just need to, to invest a little bit into the product and, and you'll likely, likely get some growth out of it i can i can literally hear one of the one of the listeners right now i'm gonna get an email in my inbox that says if i come across like a product which i think is clunky and i'm interested in acquiring compared to starting how did you go about contacting the founder at minute seven was it on a marketplace where it's like this business is for sale this is the asset just give me a very quick insight to how that happened sure i mean yeah it was listed for sale so um, kind of another crazy story, but I found it for sale. I didn't know the founder at all. And, uh, I, it was just listed for sale. I reached out to him directly. Where, uh, I, I assume it's not on eBay where uh, I've no in, uh, insight to this world. Are there specific websites or marketplaces where companies list? Oh yeah, there, there's lots. So, uh, one of the more popular ones is one called FE Inter- international. Um, it sells almost exclusively small SaaS companies. Um, the one where I found minute seven is a, a site called Latona. That's L A T O N A. Um, there's a, I haven't been as actively obviously looking at it the past few years, but I, I had like a, when I was actively searching, there was, you know, a half dozen that I was regularly looking at and reaching out to folks. Um, and if you, I mean, if you did some cursory searches, you could probably find, those same, those same six are probably still out there, but those are the two that, that I, I know off the top of my head. Um, and then there's, I, I mean, I guess to the point, to the extent it's helpful, I could, I could send you the, I know I have that list somewhere. I could, I could email it to you. If that's helpful to your, your listeners, we could put yeah. it in the show notes or something. Yeah. 100%. If you can ping that across. Um, so let's just say you send that across and one of our listeners goes ahead and goes, actually, I'm going to go and look for these SaaS companies. I'm going to acquire instead of start. What was the first one or two things that you did when you got into minute seven as the new CEO? Yeah. So it was really focused on the product. So we, you know, the first big project that we took on was redesigning the the front end. So um, as I mentioned, you know, the business was started in 2008 and the front end from a look and feel standpoint hadn't really changed since then. Um, So it looked outdated. And so when, you know, we're, we're in a competitive landscape. When, so when people were evaluating our software versus others, you know, you could definitely see the difference in terms of uh, look and feel. 
And then the second thing was just, you know, features that we were missing that, you know, again, it hadn't been actively, you know, product development wasn't uh, a focus of, of the business in recent years. So there was a feature gap that, that we needed to close. And, and, and I think we've done a good job of doing that in terms of, you know, if someone's evaluating us versus someone else, we need to be really competitive, uh, both on the look and feel and on the feature set so that we can, we can win our, our fair share of that business. Well, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'd look at the website earlier, but I've actually just realized is um, your pricing is basically the same as ours as well. Uh, I told you there were some parallels. So we've got a SaaS product expert trades for trades professionals to do quotes and invoices and card payments and all this good stuff. Uh, and we're eight pounds a user. Uh, you oh, guys, wow. are, yeah, you guys are $8. Uh, I guess as an off the line conversation, it could be cool to, to one day jump on uh, a zoom call, share some metrics and just see one of the things that I would love to discuss with you is, um, how do you think about support from a, um, a cost perspective within the business when you have a relatively uh-huh. low MRR value per customer? Uh, how much uh-huh. support do you give and how much time do you spend on onboarding? Um, I sure. guess the w- one thing for our business is the average user is one to two users maximum. Um, uh, over at Minute 7, is it, is it tends to be like... Uh, one to two or is it five to ten where does your yeah it's a little bit yeah it's a little bit larger than one so we're, i think right now it's like uh i don't know somewhere around eight users is our average um okay. per per account um and yes but i think in general the way i think about i like talking about this stuff so we can do it online or offline but um the way i think about support is it's sort of a part of our product in some ways like i I want them to really like the product, but I also want them if they have questions to feel like, you know, they get really good support. Um, and so we do that a couple of ways, you know, one, we have live phone support, uh, from 9am to 5pm central time. So people can call and, and we will be able to talk them through. And then really we're another place that I, I spent a meaningful amount of time when I started running the business day to day was on our support and onboarding content. So, we've created a number of videos that, you know, basically we look through our, our Zen desk and see where, where are the most common questions. Mm-hmm. And then we create videos to, to answer those questions so that, you know, we don't need to hire a, a large support team. You know, we have one part-time customer support person um, and they're able to manage all of our users at this point because, you know, because of that, I think, quality content that we have that, to answer questions very quickly if people email them in. Um, so I think that's one benefit again of, of SAS and some of the t- uh, tools that have emerged, you know, your ability to quickly make a video. Sometimes there's certain users that really respond to videos and then that's mm-hmm. gotten a lot easier in the last couple of years in terms of answering questions with video. And just out of curiosity, where do you see minute seven moving on to in the future? Do you see yourself, um, is, is your personal goal right now over the next two years, you said rough three to five year plan. I think you said you're hitting the three year mark uh, this month. So congrats on that. Um, is your focus on, um, let's just go, is it width in terms of users and scaling users? Or are you thinking largely around, um, changing the products going to other verticals and going deeper on a product feature perspective when you think about scaling the SaaS product what do you think about and so it's primarily users um and revenue i think is is my our primary metric um you know we've i've um 
almost tripled the business in the first three years. We've had a lot of success. And so if I think about the next, you know, that, that gets harder as you grow, but, uh, in the next couple of years, if, if we could double the business again, I would feel pretty good, uh, about what we're doing. And I think there's, you know, the way we do that, you know, we have a product roadmap that, that we're, we're, uh, executing on and, um, you know, but that, that's what I feel like is going to drive the, the next round of growth is, is some additional product roadmaps and partnerships, uh, that we're working on. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's where we're headed. Well, I would, because of the nature of like what you do and what we do, I would love to keep a conversation open and potentially like touch base every six, eight months, something like that. Um, yeah. and, and just pick your brains. It feels like you're probably a couple of years ahead of, uh, the SAS roadmap compared to where we are. I, I think there's probably a, a lot of learnings that I could get for one for me selfishly, uh, but also yeah. for the listeners of the show. Um, Mark, in case someone is listening to this right now and they go, actually, um, I want to learn more about what Mark does or specifically minute seven, where's the best place for people to go to? Sure. So, um, I am sort of active on Twitter. You can always, uh, message me there. Just at Mark Summy. It's at M A R C S U M M E. Uh, you can email me directly. My email address is marc at minute7.com. And then our website is just minute7.com. Um, if you do have any uh, time or expense tracking needs, we'd love to, to talk with you. We have, uh, you can sign up for a, for a free or a, a one-on-one demo on the site, or you can sign up for a free trial uh, at minute7.com. So I would encourage you to go there and check it out and sign up for a trial if uh, if you're looking for for uh, a time and expense tracking software. Absolutely perfect stuff. And guys, that's minute seven. It's minute and then the number seven.com. Mark, I've had an absolute blast. As, as I said, there's a lot of similarities between our journeys. I do sales and marketing, did a consultancy SaaS product. Lots of learnings, lots of mistakes on my side that I'm trying to trying to improve over time. And I'd love to keep a conversation open and stay in touch moving forward. But thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you, Adam. I, I appreciate that. And I, I love talking to other uh, entrepreneurs. So yeah, let's um, let's definitely stay in touch. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks again.